Welcome into Locked On Phillies. A nice weekend for the Phils. They take the opening series against the Oakland Athletics. No sweep, but they won games one and two. We'll recap games two and three in this episode and also talk about Bryson Stott's defense and how comfortable the fan base feels with him after his performance on opening day. So much on a packed Locked On Phillies. Locked on Phillies, your daily Philadelphia Phillies podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. That's right. It is your team every day. It's Locked On Phillies. I'm your host, Connor Thomas. Been talking Phillies baseball for years over on 97.5 The Fanatic on Philly Sports Talk Radio. Now happy to be with you here on Locked On Phillies. And I want to thank you for making Locked On Phillies your first listen every day. We're, of course, free and available wherever you get your podcasts. Now, let's jump into this opening series between the Philadelphia Phillies and the Oakland Athletics. You already heard on the previous episode my thoughts on Game 1, opening day. A very exciting one. Well, Games two and three weren't quite as exciting, a little bit quieter offensively. So we'll break down first game two, in which the Phillies defeated the Oakland Athletics 4-2 to to move to 2-0 on the year. So the opening day, an offensive explosion. The Phillies put up nine runs. You kind of get the fireworks. Everybody has a hit but Matt Beerling. And they come out looking like that potent offense that we thought and we're pretty sure we're getting come regular season. It was a great start for the Phillies. And what they followed that up with, uh, it wasn't a bad performance. I don't want to say that by any stretch of the imagination. It just wasn't quite as exciting. There wasn't as much firepower as what you saw in game one. Only put up four runs, but the way they put it up was interesting. So if you remember, on opening day, Kyle Schwarber comes out, and in a 3-2 count on the very first at bat of the season, his first at bat as a Philly, bang, he deposits one in the right field seats. How awesome was that? What a cool moment. Stadium goes wild. A sellout crowd went nuts. It wasn't a sellout crowd on Saturday for game two, but it still was 41,000 and change that were at the game. A good amount, especially for a series with Oakland, who's not really uh, a team that you're looking forward to seeing this year if you're an opposing fan base and they're visiting you. Not too many exciting pieces of that. So still a good sign attendance-wise for the Phils in game two. And in inning number one, with two outs in the inning, Nick Castellano steps to the plate. After a Bryce Harper walk, well, he gets an opportunity, and bang, left center, and bomb, Nick Castellano. So in the first two games of the year, the first two innings of those games respectively, Kyle Schwarber, day one, Nick Castellanos, day two. The new guys introduced themselves to Philadelphia, but it was very considerate of Nick Castellanos to wait until game two to hit his welcome home run so that Kyle Schwarber could have his time on opening day. And then Nick Castellanos got the spotlight on the second day's first inning. Now, of course, they didn't plan that. They're both trying to go yard every single time or at least get on base every single time. But it was cool how that worked out that Castellanos basically had his moment just like Kyle Schwarber had his in on opening day, rather. Outside of that, though, so that was the bottom of the first against Cole Irvin. Of course, you remember him from his time here in Philadelphia. Not a very hard-throwing pitcher. Definitely not a number two pitcher in a rotation caliber guy. So the Phillies benefited from a weak Oakland Athletics pitching staff. But after the first, Irvin settled in. He really didn't have that bad of a day, all things considered. Just got hurt in the first and got hurt in the sixth inning. But I'll tell you who had a great day, not just 
not bad of a day. Kyle Gibson was unbelievable. So we don't have any more scoring from either side after that Castellanos home run in the first inning until we get to the sixth inning. In between, here's all that Kyle Gibson did. Well, he had retired basically everyone but one batter. So he was only one above the minimum phase when he got pulled in the seventh. He was still shut out in the sixth inning, and he continued to be all day as he had a shutout seven innings, no earned. Listen, it's 10Ks. It was the fourth time in Kyle Gibson's career that he had a double-digit strikeout game, first since uh, midseason last year when he was still a member of the Texas Rangers. So it's his first one in the Phillies uniform. Let me tell you, he looked like an ace. Sitting there watching it in person, the Oakland Athletics hitters were absolutely baffled by what Kyle Gibson brought to the mound on Saturday. He was unbelievable. He was efficient with his pitches as well. Like he was getting three innings and 10 pitches, 12 pitches, very low pitch counts. It was great for Gibson, especially a guy that you think about this pitching staff. Wheeler's the one. Then Nola's probably the two. And then I'd like to think Suarez is probably the three after his performance last year. If Kyle Gibson is your fourth best arm and he's doing that, man, I got no issues with that whatsoever. He wasn't even really all that much in the strike zone. He threw 82 pitches, 57 of them were for strikes. So it's not a bad percentage, but it's not like he threw 82 pitches and 72 of them were strikes. And he just lived in the zone all day. He had a lot of breaking stuff that was down in the zone that he got Oakland to chase. Just a masterful job of working his pitches. He only gave up two hits. Uh, I believe he had no, no walks either. So only allowed two base runners in his seven innings of work. What an outing for Kyle Gibson. And if he can continue to do that, I just said it, with how this rotation stacks out, this could be one of the better rotations in baseball. It's on guys like Kyle Gibson. And Zach Eflin, who we'll talk about when we recap game two in the next sec or game three in the next segment, and Ranger Suarez to hold the rope because we know what we're getting out of Zach Wheeler. We hope we're getting a solid year out of Aaron Nola, but even if it, at his worst, he's still a serviceable major league pitcher. It's these other guys that if they overperform or for Ranger Suarez perform up to the level he did last year, this rotation is dangerous. So Gibson was absolutely the player of the game in game two. The Phillies would have been fine just pretty much with Castellanos' two-run homer that he hit in the first inning, of course. Oakland ended up scoring two, but that gets you basically to where you need to be. So when you score enough runs to tie the other team's total just in your first inning, that's probably a pretty good sign for you winning that game. Well, let's talk about how the Phillies got the rest of their four runs. So in the sixth inning, it was kind of like, okay, Irvin settled in a little bit, starting to feel good. Uh, you're starting to wonder if you're the Phillies, okay, are they kind of like being lulled to sleep? Because Cole Irvin's not that great of a pitcher. But it's like, okay, we hit the go-ahead home or the go-ahead. We hit the early home run with Nick Cassianos to go off 2 nothing, And then Kyle Gibson's throwing really well. So you almost got the sense that the Phillies were like entranced with how well Kyle Gibson was throwing and let the foot off the gas maybe a little bit there. But – not in the sixth inning. By that time, uh, the Phillies were needing an extender for sure. Gibson was still chucking, but you didn't feel like perfect with a two-run lead. It was still stuff needed to be worked out. Irvin was getting near the end of his leash, though, especially this early in the season. So the sixth inning was a typical time where you'd want to see a good team strike on a lower-end starter, and that's absolutely what the Phillies did. So <laughs> Reese Hoskins, who has been hot all year, he finally leaves the yard. He hits one to left field. 
363 feet there to make it three nothing in the six. The solo shot. You're like, okay, here they go. They're waking up a little bit, and Urban looks a little bit lost. Maybe they can add more on top of what Hoskins did, and then bang, Gene Segura, almost to the same exact seat. I'm pretty sure it was the same section. If not, it was one section over from where Reese put his out, hits another one to left field. The Phillies go back-to-back for the first time of the year, the first time since I think it was like August of 2021. And what an answer by the Phillies to a couple quiet innings. That was all the scoring that would happen for the Phils on the day, but it was all they would need. And seeing the start that Hoskins has had to the year, seeing the start that Segura has had to the year, there's really no Phillies players that I'm overly concerned with at the dish right now besides Matt Veerling. And Veerling is probably not going to be your long-term option at center field with how he started. He went 0 for 3 in this game, in game 2. He was 0 for in game one, so a zero batting average to this point on the year, this point being where we're talking about with the Phillies and Athletics game two. Of course, you still got to recap game three, and we'll see what he did in that one. But the Phillies offensive line, well, offensive line, the Phillies lineup has looked solid. I think they've got clearly an even higher ceiling, like what we saw on opening day. It's probably going to be closer to what we see from them than what we saw in games two and three. I do think that they have a higher offensive output ready, but hitting takes a while to catch up to pitching when you're early in the season. It takes these guys some time to adjust to live pitching, especially with the shortened spring training. So that'll come. Just to wrap out, wrap up what happened in the remainder of the game uh, with the Oakland Athletics actually scoring two runs at some point in the game. Might as well tell you how that went ahead and happened. They scored later uh, once you got ahead and Gibson came out after the seventh. So Gibson got one, two, three in the seventh. And you know what I love? Opening day, Joe Girardi might have left Aranola in there a little bit too long. Well, he doesn't do it with Gibson. He pulls him at the right time. Everything was fine with that. Then Jose Alvarado comes in and unfortunately gives up a run to Stephen Piscotti single that scored Elvis Andrus. Elvis Andrus had a pretty solid series in the back two games of that against the Phillies. He's been a major league player for a while. But just strong a couple hits together on uh, – Jose Alvarado, and it felt like Alvarado was getting touched up a little bit more than normal. He'll need to work back and get a little bit of stuff figured out. A quiet eighth, and then in the top of the ninth, Corey Knebel got his first save situation. A little bit dicey. He gave up uh, Jed Lowry single to left that scored um, Kemp, but uh, unfortunately for the Oakland Athletics, not enough. It finished with a 4-2 game. Really, he was in a little bit of trouble, but following that single to bring the score to two-run game, um, he got a ground ball, shortstop, second, first. It was Didi Segura over to Reese Hoskins to go ahead and clear the bases, get two outs, and then went ahead and struck out Chad Pinder to end the game there. So, Knable gets his first save. Kyle Gibson looks dominant. The offense a little bit quiet, but you saw a couple first home runs of the year from Reese Hoskins and Gene Segura and Nick Castellanos as well. So, no complaints with game two. We'll take those wins any way we can get them. Not sure I could say the same with game three. And I did notice something slightly concerning that I'm worried could affect this lineup throughout the year. I'll tell you what it is in just a second. I want to tell you all about Bet Online first, though. BetOnline.net is your number one source for all of your betting stats and sports info. So you can find all of the latest sports developments, league reviews, and news, including this year's basketball playoffs. The playoffs are starting. If you're a Phillies fan, chances are you're a Sixers fan. Well, the Sixers are in, and all of the information you need on that 
Listen to Locked On Sixers with my friends Devon Givens and Keith Pompey. It's an awesome show over there if you're a basketball fan and a Sixers fan. But they've got all the information on Bet Online for the playoffs and also the start of the Major League Baseball season. Bet Online is your continued source for all your sports wagering information from live betting to playoffs, esports, and more. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. Bet Online, where the game starts. So as I've already said, and unfortunately, as you probably already know, the Phillies did not end up sweeping the athletics. There's no broom, unfortunately. I do have a nice new picture up there of uh, my friends uh, Dr. J, Mike Schmidt, Bobby Clark, and Reggie White. Nice little Philly artwork there uh, that I have hanging behind me, courtesy of Mama Thomas, my mom. So thank you for that, Mom. But um, they didn't have a great game two or game three. Unfortunately, the offense, as quiet as it dropped off from game one to game two, dropped off even further to game three. Dalton Jeffries made the start for Oakland, and he's a young pitcher who hasn't really done all that much at the major league level. He looked incredible. He had five innings pitched, only allowed two hits to this Phillies lineup. No runs, no earned runs, two walks, two Ks. So he doesn't have, like, overpowering stuff, but he got the job done enough. And Zach Eflin... Pretty much matched him. He only had four innings pitched, but only gave up two hits, no runs, none earned, two walks, three Ks, worked out of a little bit of a jam, getting a big double play in an inning where the Athletics had the bases loaded with no outs. And I believe that was the top of the third, and the Phillies worked out of that one. So not overly exciting starting pitching, but solid enough to get you to where you wanted to be. So it was 0-0 through the fifth. Kind of a quiet afternoon on one that was windy, a little bit of rain in the area, a little bit quiet. Then in the sixth inning, well, the Phillies bullpen got a little bit touched up. I'll tell you first, before we get into the bullpen, though, real quick, it was an interesting lineup that got rolled out by the Phillies. A couple things that I took a look at. The Sunday lineups are normally days to get your day-to-day guys, your everyday players, a little bit of rest. Felt a little early in the season for me. I would have liked to see. JT Romito out there. I would have liked to see him at least inserted maybe a little bit earlier in the game. I would have liked to see either Bryson Stott or Alec Bohm at third and Dini Gregorius at shortstop. But here's how they lined up. Schwarber, normal spot, lead off DH. Gene Segura, second base, was in the two-hole because JT Romito got the day off. Bryce Harper played right. Nick Castellanos in left. He got his first game in left, giving Schwarber the DH. Reese Hoskins played first, normal. Here's where it gets interesting. So Stott played shortstop, his natural position, which I don't hate defensively for him. He seemed more comfortable there during this game. Johan Camargo played at third base, though. I'm like, Camargo's a nice player. He went one for two in the game. He's batting 500 on the year. He walked, but he did strike out that one. He's a serviceable player, but in game three, I'd rather see Alec Bohm there. Garrett Stubbs got his first start of the 2022 season at catcher, which is uh, interesting, like I said. You want to get JT rest because he can't play all 162 at that taxing position. But I would have liked to see him here. And then Matt Beerling was in center again. And Matt Beerling walked. He made it on base for the first time uh, in the year. But uh, he went over on the game again. So a little bit of a weird lineup. Some of the guys you want to see, Didi, uh, Alec Bohm in that scenario, or uh, JT catching were not in the lineup. And JT did pitch hit and came in and caught the eighth and the uh, ninth innings in this one. But – 
Just uh, a little bit of a question mark for me. I, I don't totally disagree with it, but I'm just, it's interesting to see how quickly they went to some of the reserves that they had on the bench in just game three of the series. Almost feels like they're like, okay, we're playing Oakland. Maybe we can get away with resting a guy or two here. Oh, well, the loss is not that huge of a deal. Being two and one is fine. We'll take a series win any way that we can get it. But some questions about the bullpen. So Bailey Falter came in and he just did not look great. 2.1 innings pitched, four hits, two runs, two earned, only two Ks, but he gave up a home run. He's a young lefty who's more of a crafty guy than someone who's over, going to overpower you. And seeing that he got touched up like he did, it's not encouraging for one of those guys in Falter that's going to be your middle of the bullpen type of arms. Here's basically how I have the bullpen tiered out. Juris Familia, Brad Hand, Jose Alvarado, Corey Knabel, Connor Brogdon. You feel pretty good about going to those guys at any time. Knabel, obviously the closer, but those guys you can go to at any time. Sarantin so Dominguez, just because he's coming off the injury, he should be in that group, and he probably will be relatively soon. But for now, I just got to see a couple more outings from him to make sure he's fully recovered and back to being the self that we saw on opening day and also in this spring training and when he's been in better shape. And there's this other group of like Damon Jones and Bailey Falter and Nick Nelson, the guys like that are there kind of in the middle that it's just like, okay, they're going to see some innings, but I'd rather see those top tier guys than them. And those guys in the middle innings are the ones that you're going to need to eat up like last games of series, Sunday games. When you play the Marlins in a four game series coming up later this week down in Miami, those are the guys that you're going to need to find one or two of them that can give you at least the serviceable inning. Falter, not a great one in this one. So hopefully he'll just, uh, it'll be a blip on the radar and he'll settle down. But Connor Brogdon went two thirds innings. He only gave up one hit, no runs, no earn, no walks, struck out one. And then David Jones brought it up. He was also a little bit rough in this one, gave up two hits. Two runs, two earned, kind of late in this one as extenders. That two nothing lead that the Athletics had felt somewhat insurmountable with the way the Phillies were swinging the bats. And uh, then the two that Damon Jones gave up later in the game when he came in relief to finish everything out, uh, giving those runs up in the top of the ninth, really put the nail in the coffin. A two run lead, okay. But once you go up four nothing with the Phillies only having three outs to work with, you can kind of put that one in the books. Gene Segura did homer in the bottom of the ninth to lead off that inning. Gave you a little bit of a sense that the Phillies might have some life. Ultimately didn't materialize after that. They didn't score again in the game. But I like what I'm seeing from Gene Segura to start the year. He's leaving the yard a little bit. And two home runs, well, he leads the team. Who would have thought that after the opening day or opening weekend series, rather, that Gene Segura would be your leader in the clubhouse for home runs on this team? I wouldn't have picked him, but it's nice to see because I know the other guys are going to hit. It's a good sign. Here's my issue with the Phillies at the dish and what I attribute their trouble to in the closing game of the series against Oakland. They didn't see many pitches at all. Let me just total this up and take a look at how many pitches were thrown in the game for the Oakland Athletics. 48 from Dalton Jeffries through five innings pitch. Anytime that number is less than 10 times the number of innings. So like, for example, if you pitch four innings, should throw 40 or more pitches. Five innings, 50 or more pitches. Anytime that number's below that, not being selective enough at the dish. Total number of pitches through nine innings, 103 pitches for the Oakland Athletics to get out of there. You compare that to what the Phillies did, 
144 pitches. When you're throwing 41 more pitches than the opposing team, that's an issue. It's not a good sign. It means you're giving up hits. You're giving up walks. You're giving up runs. And it's on the Phillies hitters. We know the strength of this ball club is the lineup. These hitters have to be selected. Even though you're a very talented baseball team who can hit the ever-living you-know-what out of the ball, you still can't just swing at everything. And it felt like the Phillies kind of almost thought, okay, we're good enough and we have a good enough lineup. We're just going to hack at everything. And eventually we're going to run into something and we're going to hit the ball out of the ballpark and it's going to be enough. Well, that's not always the case. And I don't think it's going to be a long-term issue with this team. I hope it's not. But uh, the selectiveness on Sunday is why they ended up ultimately falling short of the sweep against the Athletics. So you'll see that come with time. They've got plenty of guys on this team that are selective. Bryce Harper walks a ton. Kyle Schwarber walks a ton. Reese Hoskins has a great eye. Guys like that are going to go ahead and see a bunch of pitches, and they'll settle in. It's just some early season observations as to why they dropped the game to a team that I feel like they shouldn't have lost to on that day. But they did. The Phillies are 2-3 and three to start the year, and now we move on to a very, very interesting series with the New York Mets. And listen to how these pitching matchups stack up. Ranger Suarez goes today. Zach Wheeler goes tomorrow. Aaron Nola goes in game three of the series. If I'm the New York Mets, I'm a little bit worried about what I'm seeing there as far as the opposing pitching matchups. Taiwan Walker will throw for the Mets tonight, and you will see Scherzer at some point in the series. I believe he's throwing in game three, matched up with Aaron Nola. So you can go ahead and see some good pitching on that side too from the New York Mets. But a big series, not so much that it matters in the standings. We're so early. Nice little measuring stick, though. Who was hot at the start of the year? And how do these new matchups, new rosters rather, match up with each other? Speaking of <laughs> big Big things, big matchup, big bats, big pitching. Well, there's a big show I want you to check out. I always thank you for making Locked On Phillies your first listen every day. But I also want you to check out Locked On MLB Prospects. We're going to talk about one of the Phillies' recent prospects that got called up, Bryson Stott, in our next segment. But Lindsey Crosby is talking about prospects constantly. He's Locked On MLB Prospects, and he knows everything about guys that play in the minors, play at college, play at the high school level, the draft, rule five guys, international players, anybody who could be a prospect for a team that teams are looking at, you better bet Lindsay has some great information on them. So go ahead and check out everything that he's got over there at Locked On MLB Prospects. All right, let me tell you guys about Built Bar. Built Bar is amazing. And getting ready for summer and beach season, the weather's changing. It's going to be in the high 70s here in Philadelphia for the first couple of days of this week. So you got to show off the arms, got to pop the guns out. And the best way to make sure you're ready to do that is by taking Built Bars. They're awesome and they taste great. It's not like the protein bars you have to suffer through. It tastes amazing because they have 100% real chocolate. So real chocolate, it can't be good for you, right? Wrong. 130 calories, 17 grams of protein, and only 4 grams of sugar, 4 net carbs. Those are great numbers for you to build up some muscle or cut down on some weight. Built Bar is awesome for you to supplement your workout, and it gets you ready with some great flavors. Listen to some of these. Mint brownie, coconut, coconut almond, plus they have protein-infused marshmallows. They're Built Bar puffs, which taste great as well. That's because at Built Bar, they're all about the taste. They make it taste delicious first, then figure out how to make it healthy, and I don't know how but they pull it off every single time. So I want you to go to Built.com and use promo code LOCK15 for 15% off your order. Use promo code LOCK15 for 15% off at Built.com. 
All right, it's time for Off the Pole, the segment where on Friday I go ahead, and this week it was Saturday because we wanted to break up uh, opening day and talk about it the day after. But the last show of the previous week, I go ahead and give you a poll question that I post on our Twitter account at LO underscore Phillies. It's also posted at Connor Thomas 975 on Twitter because I retweet it from the Locked on Phillies account. But we ask a Twitter question to you, the listener out there, and uh, I get your opinion via vote on what you think. Uh, the question, like based on the question, they're always yes or no, or one option or the other between two players makes it nice and easy for you. And then on Monday, the second half of the segment for off the poll is I take a look at your response, what you voted for a majority who won the poll or what option won the poll. And I'll give you my thoughts. And I'll also try and rationalize why I believe the majority of the fan of the fan base went a certain way. So this week's off the poll, the question here that we have, uh, let me go ahead and just pull it up on our Twitter. Uh, after what you saw from Bryson Stott defensively this weekend, do you still still feel comfortable with him at third base? Now, of course, this came out following his opening day performance where he had two errors in the same inning, the top of the seventh, where the A's made a little bit of a comeback, made it to a, uh, a two-run game, two or a one-run game. They did cut it to one. I just forget if it was the same inning. But seeing that and he bounced back and he made a couple plays after that how do you feel about him at third do you feel like they sh- the Phillies should move him to his primary position of shortstop or how basically what is your comfort level with Bryce Stott are you still cool with him well there is a resounding answer from the fan base and I totally totally agree with you guys let me go ahead and let you know 91 percent of responders said that they were still comfortable with Bryce Stott at third base only nine percent said no so that's a good number of you, basically all of you, that said, yeah, I'm still cool with the kid at third base. And it is preemptive to say you're not comfortable with him at third. And there's going to be growing pains. Just There'd be growing pains if he was playing shortstop. He's a rookie. There are nerves there. I got a chance to go into the locker room after opening day and hear from him, hear from the man himself. Uh, specifically, he told us what he was feeling after that and what he was thinking. And you could tell. Like a little bit of it was nerves. He said he had to collect his thoughts after he had to like kind of just get the next one and move on and make the routine play next. And it helped him settle down a little bit. And that's natural of any ball player, especially a rookie coming up and with the expectations that Stott has on him to start on opening day. The only former first round pick in Philly's history to ever make his debut on opening day. So, yeah, I I completely agree with all of you that said yes, and 91% of you did. you got to give the kid time. The important thing to adjust, and I'll say this again. I believe I've already talked about this on here. But you don't really have to adjust fielding at the major league level. A ground ball to third base at AAA is not any different than a ground ball to third base at the major league level, besides, I guess, the nerves that come with it. But there's guys with exit velocity crazy high at AAA, AA, single A in college because they use aluminum bats in college. Same with high school. There are guys hitting the ball hard everywhere. They just don't do it consistently. It's like golf game, you know? You ever hit that beautiful shot in golf where it's like, man, that looks like a pro hit it. And then the next three, you shank in the water somewhere. That's kind of what it is for exit velocity at the lower levels of baseball. You're still going to see really, really high exit velocity into the low 100-mile-an-hour zone that tops the MLB every year. It just doesn't happen as consistently. But if you can field a triple A, you can field a double A, you can field an MLB at the MLB level, you can field a single A, you can field all the way, is my point. 
The important thing is to keep the kid in the lineup, the kid being Bryson Stott, of course, in the lineup so that he can see major league pitching because that is where the adjustment comes and where the adjustment is needed. He had two hits on opening day, so it was a great outing at the dish for him in his first ever major league game. Uh, he went ahead and went 0 for 3 in game 3. He sat game 2. So a little bit of a inconspicuous second appearance by Bryson Stott. But the important thing is swallow the defense now. Like Just accept that he's going to make a couple mistakes here and there as he gets used to playing at the major league level and deals with the nerves. But the defense should be fine because he was fine defensively at every other level. And just focus on his hitting and his approach at the plate because that's where the adjustment really needs to be made from a young player. That's all. That's how I feel about off the pole. So I agree with you. We've been pretty much in agreement in the last two. We'll have to see if we can keep that streak going, folks, for next week's off the pole. But so much to get into this week. we got three games with the Mets, a couple games with the Marlins before we're done our programming for the week, but a four-game series in total there. So much to get into over the course of the week. So make sure you're staying locked in on Locked On Phillies so you get all your latest information, my reactions to the game. And i got to just say, I didn't make it to the yard yesterday because I had Sunday softball that I was playing in. So hand up. That loss is on me. They're still undefeated while I'm at the ballpark. So hopefully I'll be I'll be there for the Mets. Not hopefully. I will be there for the Mets game tonight at Citizens Bank Park. Hopefully the streak stays alive for that one and they can get their first win in the NL East coming up this evening. That's all I got for you on Locked On Phillies. Real quick before we're out of here, I want to thank you for making Locked On Phillies your first listen every day. Now make your second listen, Locked On MLB. Paul Francis Sullivan, we call him Sully around here. He knows the MLB inside and out. Everything about it, the history, the present, knows all the teams, knows all the great stories. He covers so much stuff from around baseball in general. It's the overarching Locked On MLB show. So go ahead and check that out and make him your second listen. Make sure you're subscribing as well. And uh, rating, reviewing everything on YouTube, podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. Following us on Twitter at ConnorThomas975 at LockedOn underscore Phillies. I owe you guys some bonus content because we hit 150 subscribers on YouTube. Keep that coming up. Our next margin will be at 300 subscribers. And I'll tell you what that bonus content is a little bit later this week. But make sure you're locked in because it gets you more bonus information. It gets me a little bit of a better leeway. Uh, to cover some more stuff, and it helps uh, build the podcast uh, notoriety. Yeah, we'll go with notoriety so that I can put on an even better show for you. So let's make sure we're doing all of that. But appreciate you listening. As always, appreciate you being with me here on Locked on Phillies. Hopefully the Phillies take down the Mets tonight, and I will talk to you all tomorrow.